We are going to speak today with uh, Jean Caballero, co-founder at GreenPal. Jean, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk a little bit about GreenPal and a bit about your background to start off. Yes, so um, I've kind of been in the landscaping industry uh, my whole entire life, mainly as a surplus to, uh, you know, to make a little bit of money in high school, in the summers, and even in, uh, and even in college. And uh, so I've kind of been in that, uh, that arena for a while. And um, once I got my first, I guess, corporate job, uh, it was in tech sales and uh, my territory was the West Coast. And so I was kind of privy to newer technologies like Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, and uh, you know, having my landscaping background, I knew that you know, if somebody was gonna summon a stranger to pick them up, to take them somewhere, uh, they would do the same with lawn care. And that's kind of how the idea of GreenPal came about. And uh, where are you based? Uh, we are based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Right. So <laughs> that's a, this is a very interesting look at a case study. The reason I thought it would be fun to have you over here is, uh, is to expose a part of the world that we don't hear from very much in the startup conversation. So, uh, so uh, Jean, I know you have followed a, a very lean startup process. Mm -hmm. And you start, your journey starts with bootstrapping with a paycheck, which is a methodology element that is a, an important one in our arsenal. We are building a lot of companies using this particular methodology element. So talk a little bit about how you got GreenPal off the ground, especially what part of the journey did you do while still holding on to the job, the first job? Yeah, so uh, I bootstrapped with a paycheck for about five years. Um, you don't realize how much time in a day you, you actually have until, uh, you know, you can uh, utilize pretty much all of it. So, and my paycheck was job was, was very, very flexible. So I knew I could go in at seven and be done at four. So I had, you know, at least six good hours of, uh, of work that I could do. Um, but a lot of the things that, that, that we were able to do, um, we were able to launch an MVP. We were able to talk to as many consumers as possible. You know, we were able to aggregate vendors, um, you know, uh, post, you know, 5 p.m. So a lot of the things that we did for growth were after hours. And, uh, you know, we're very fortunate to be able to uh, be underwritten by, uh, by a paycheck um, so we didn't have to go into debt and we certainly didn't have to, you know, find any uh, seed funding or any, uh, or any money like that. So uh, we're very fortunate to, to be able to take our time, I guess, to, to launch GreenPal while not getting into debt, while being able to do things, um, you know, that were financed by the nine to five. And what was your day job while you were doing this on the side? Yeah, I was a uh, sales manager for a Fortune 50 tech company. So I sold wow. the computer solutions, a little bit of everything. All right. And um, did your employer know that you were, uh, you know, bootstrapping GreenPal in parallel with your job? 
there were there were a few people that knew um one of uh one of my my late managers the manager i had the longest he he knew and he was actually a customer of green pal um oh. and we actually you know after hours on the weekends uh the the company i worked with had a huge facility and so we actually did some work uh out of there on the weekends uh you know there's hundreds of conference rooms and stuff like that so we had to actually utilize the campus to uh uh, to have meetings and and stuff like that so uh i don't you know at the time it was after hours so i don't think it mattered but uh they probably frowned upon it if i was there during the day very good and um how did you get your mvp done you're not a technical founder you're um your background is in sales so did you hire an outsourcing agency how who did the mvp Yes, yeah, so um, we kind of took a, a, a weird journey getting our MVP up and going. Uh, so I've got two co-founders, and none of us actually had any, uh, you know, tech background. Um, so we thought the the best thing would be to do is to hire a local um, shop to build our to build our product and build our mm-hmm. apps, and so. We paid them one hundred fifty thousand dollars to uh, to build what we thought was going to be the best way to connect homeowners with landscape professionals and uh it actually turned out to be one of the best most expensive mistakes we ever made uh when they gave us the product it was unusable um you know it had no usability to it uh you know it just it, it was horrible so we knew that we needed to have a technical co-founder uh, on our team to, to take this to the next level. And so one of our co-founders actually went ahead and quit his day job. He was actually working at the same company that I was working at. He went ahead and quit and was in the first cohort of the Nashville Software School um, uh, here in Nashville. So he went to software school, uh, took him about six months, and then we actually hired a, uh, a consultant that kind of hand in hand helped him build the actually first true MVP that we had. And uh, that's the, the rest is kind of history. So uh, he's, you know, he kind of manages the, the day-to-day of our tech team, which is about 25 now. And uh, that's basically how we got our MVP. Um, the only thing we kept from the uh, shop built website was uh, they made a how it works video it was like a minute and a half. And uh, so we kind of joke around and say we paid $150,000 for a minute and a half video. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about how you seeded the marketplace. You obviously did a two-sided marketplace of homeowners and lawn uh, people who wanted to mow their lawns, right? Mm-hmm. That, was the, um, that was the marketplace that you created. So how did you get the two sides of the marketplace on your MVP? Yeah, so uh, I wish I could tell you it was uh, it was fun, but it wasn't. Um, we literally, to get the vendors, we literally went to Craigslist and cold called vendors in the Nashville area until we had about 20 that were uh, willing to listen to us a little bit more. And then we went to their job site and talked to them you know, one-on-one at the benefits of uh, of joining a platform like GreenPal, and then we physically signed them up on our platform for them. So that's kind of how we uh, we actually did that for the first, I'd say, 10 to 15 markets 
you know, we were texting vendors, calling vendors, just manually doing that whole entire process. Uh, and then once you have, you know, 10 to 15 vendors in a Nashville area, uh, we kind of started leaning on, um, on going door to door. Uh, we did that for about two months, basically just going to large neighborhoods that uh, were very dense, knocking on the door and saying, hey, uh, we have this new product. Um, and uh, instead of, you know, calling around to get any for instead of calling around and getting quotes, you can go to this website, enter in your address and local landscaping pros will then um, will then bid on your property and you just kind of manage that online through GreenPal. So that's kind of how we got the first uh, the first market Nashville started. And, uh, you know, through the through the vendor side of it, we did that through, you know, the first 15 to 20 markets was hand cranking manually, physically talking to these vendors. And what about the other markets? Those you were not visiting, right? You were not look local to be able to visit. How did you acquire the consumer side in these other markets? Yeah, so the consumer side, we started to rely heavily on PR. Um, until this day, that's probably one of our best channels. Uh, we don't spend any money on advertising uh, on the consumer side. We rely heavily on organic SEO and PR, and that has done well for us. Um, and the vendor recruitment side right now is um, we have a Facebook campaign that uh, we want to large, launch in Duluth, Minnesota. We turn on that Facebook campaign and we can have 15 to 20 vendors in that area in a couple of days. So, you know, changing that over to, to being digital allows us to launch, you know, you know, 50, 60 markets per year. Okay. So, um, in this mode, as you were growing, you know, city by city, um, and you had, you said you had three co-founders who were all bootstrapping the company with a paycheck. One of them quit to become the technical person who brought mm -hmm. your MVP to life. What about you and the other co-founder? Both of you were still bootstrapping with a paycheck? Yes, we were both still bootstrapping with a paycheck. And, um, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that, that, that needs to be done. Um, you know, you can wireframe, um, you know, the website, uh, we were doing usability studies, um, you know, with, with friends and family, we actually rented a, uh, uh, like a, like a booth at a mall, uh, for a couple weekends, just so we could get feedback from, you know, from, from strangers and strangers are pretty willing to tell you the truth. Like, Hey, this is uh, our product. Do you mind just going through the sign-up process and telling me, you know, where you have any uh, doubts or where you have any friction or anything like that? So we did a lot of that stuff. So by the time we were ready to like physically get this designed by a uh, by a designer, we knew the the customer flow uh, and we knew the onboarding pretty well because we'd done so many uh, usability tests, you know, just on with random people. And your business model is what? This is lawn mowing is an ongoing job, right? Is it, are people, uh, are the vendors getting customers on an annuity basis? They're on a monthly subscription basis or are they getting kind of like as and when? What's the, how does it work? Yes, yeah, so uh, our we're a true platform, so we just take 5% of the transaction. So vendors can sign up on our platform and bid on our platform for free. Um, we just take 5% of the transaction. 
Uh, margins are very, very thin in landscaping. And, you know, homeowners are looking to, to save a buck when they can. So, you know, we feel that the 5% uh, was fair for the, the added value um, that we're able to give to the landscaping professionals. But is it subscription or is it transaction? Is the same lawnmower going in? It's transaction. It's transaction. Mm -hmm. And what we uh, found okay. is that vendors love to keep their customers on GreenPal because we make it just so easy for them to, to manage it uh, and get paid after every mow. So, you know, they don't have to go home and send an invoice. You know, they don't have to, uh, you know, get on Google Maps and, and make the route out for the day. GreenPal basically does all that for them. I see. Okay. So, um, what about metrics? How was this growing? How many cities? How many customers? What, what was the growth of the business like as you were bootstrapping this? Yeah, so uh, this year we're projected to do about $35 million in, uh, in GMV. Um, that was up. When did you start? Uh, $35 million in gross. No, when did you start? When did you start the company? Started. It, we started in 2012, but we didn't actually start uh, uh, keeping our tally on uh, on revenue until about 2015. So uh, we've had really, really good growth, um, you know, since then. Uh, you know, fortunately, we were able to provide a contactless service during the pandemic, and we were able to grow 25% in 2020 during the, uh, the whole uncertainty. So... Um, you know, year over year, we've been able to grow almost 100% until, uh, you know, until COVID. And it looks like this year we'll, we'll be up to, you know, 50% growth from last year. And is it, is the 35 million numbers that you're quoting, is that gross um, business that gets transacted on the side or is it your revenue? That is the, the gross revenue. Uh-huh. Gross revenue. So 5% of that is your revenue, really? That is correct. That's what we keep, what we use to keep the lights on. All right. Got it. Okay, cool. So, um, and you bootstrapped it all the way, right? There has been no financing in this ever. Has, has not been. Um, when we needed the money, that's when nobody was calling. Um, now we probably get... A phone or an email every couple of weeks, you know, asking if we would like to take any venture funding on. Um, so, you know, we've gone this far, you know, we've utilized, you know, some short term debt um, to help grow, but no institutional funding. And how many people in the company? Um, there's three total co founders, including myself, and we have a team of about 25 uh, that work for us in various parts of the world. I see. So it's a, largely a virtual company? Correct. Mm -hmm. and what have you learned in building this as a virtual company? What resources have you tapped into? Oh, um, uh, Upwork is a beautiful product. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the hiring process has been, um, you know, in, in, in the beginning it was challenging, but uh, but you know the first five hires of your company are so are so critical to to its growth and its longevity. And you know we made a few mistakes uh, in the beginning hiring people. Um, you know, and a lot of the times when you're hiring somebody, you know you can't really hire somebody in the United States because you just can't afford them. 
Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. we had to look to outsource that. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times when you're talking to somebody overseas, they have no idea what grass is. So there's a learning curve that, um, that, that, that they have to learn, you know, to be able to work on your project. Where are you both people? Oh gosh, we have them all over, all over. Uh, a lot in India. We have some in Germany. Uh, have some in um, in Europe, in Canada. Um, so you have uh, you are managing the technical team. Correct. Uh -huh. From your organization, and uh, so you're not outsourcing to an agency. You are managing the whole technical team. We are we are managing all of it. Mm -hmm. How many of the twenty eight? 30 people that you have in the company, including founders, are technical? I'd say everyone but me. <laughs> no, meaning they're all working on technical projects? No. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually have, um, we have a designer um, that does not have a technical background, and we have about three or four content writers. So I'd say 90%. Uh, have technical backgrounds, and mm -hmm. including myself, do not. And um, your pitch to these to the sell side of this two-sided marketplace, obviously, obviously, when you first get them on, is that they're going to get exposed to more customers. Mm -hmm. When when you actually play that pitch out and actually see execution on that premise. What happens? What what are your use cases of how? What percentage of the revenue are they making off your platform once they are settled in and and rolling on the platform? Yes. Yeah, so, um, if you're a large landscaping company, you already have your processes in place. Uh, you don't need a, a green pal to help you get business. You don't need a green pal to streamline your your. Uh, your payments and all that stuff. So our vendor is the guy that's just starting out or the guy that has five to 10 lawns that wants to grow that to 50 or 60 lawns. That is our vendor that that seems to do well. Uh, once we get a vendor 10 properties or more, um, they are about 90% going to bring on their non-Green Pal customers. And this is kind of where we're seeing uh, a lot of our unanticipated growth is that you know you're you're aggregating these landscaping professionals and you give them a tool to to bring on their non green pal customers and uh you know because they don't want to fool with it the old way you know they don't want to send invoices and they don't want half and half on a digital platform and a non digital platform so um when we see that we can we can you know bolster a vendor's business um, we see them basically running their whole entire business through GreenPal. And that's kind of what we've seen a lot uh, recently that kind of has helped our growth. You know, it's it doesn't cost us anything for them to, you know, bring their 30 customers on to GreenPal and, uh, and let them manage all of that through our platform. So that's kind of one, one bit of growth that we've seen a lot that uh, we anticipated, but we didn't anticipate it to be... Um, as 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 highly profitable as it uh, as it is, Jean, um, I want to make a comment um, just to underscore what you're doing as a you know key methodology element in building two-sided marketplaces that we are seeing elsewhere as well, and you're providing another instance, another example of this phenomenon. 
it is what I call SaaS-enabled marketplaces, software as a service-enabled marketplaces. What you're providing essentially is a piece of software to manage a lawn mowing business, a mom and pop lawn mowing business, a mm -hmm. uh, very small lawn mowing business. And people are coming to you and bringing their customers to you because they want you to help manage those customers using that software. So typically when we first started seeing marketplaces, let's say eBay was the first marketplace in history, people came to eBay mainly in search of customers. Mm -hmm. But today we are seeing the vertical two-sided marketplace trends extensively in all industries, all verticals, there are all kinds of two-sided marketplaces that we are seeing. And as a result of that, we are seeing these kind of vertical-specific software emerge. And your lawnmower business management software is a little piece of example of that, where it's a very specialized, very niche kind of product, and people are coming in not just in search of customers, but also because they want to use your software to manage their businesses. And this is, this is happening everywhere. Um, another trend that we have seen along these lines is that people start with kind of a verticalized software product where they give the software first and maybe even charge a bit of subscription and people come for the software and then start the marketplace once they have critical mass. That's another way of playing the two-sided marketplace trend. Mm -hmm especially using this verticalized, very niche software uh, capability. So um, just wanted to underscore what you're doing is something that we are seeing elsewhere as well, and it is becoming a best practice for running verticalized two-sided marketplaces. So please keep going. Uh, you were offering more insights from your journey, and I, I just wanted to underscore this one, which I think is phenomenally important. Yeah, you know, and, and in the beginning of, uh, of the journey, you know, we talked to so many landscaping professionals and, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our offer seemed almost too good to be true to them. And so, you know, the reason we didn't fully go with uh, a SaaS product is because, you know, we haven't really given them anything yet. You know, um, hey, you know, give us $10 a month and we're going to hopefully get you customers. Uh, you know, if that was if that would have been the conversation to, to jumpstart our first few markets, um, work. it wouldn't work, you know? Um, you know, now we probably could, you know, like now we've got, could. now we certainly could, um, but there's just so much white space and so many other ways that, that, that we think we can, you know, capture more revenue from the customer that we already have that, uh, you know, the, the, the subscription model would probably uh, be way down the road. I think with also a subscription type is you're almost beholden to, uh, to maybe handhold uh, the individuals that are paying that subscription. As of right now, uh, the only vendor, uh, I guess, customer service is we have a Facebook group. It has about 3,000 uh, green pal, uh, professionals on it. And, and, and basically, uh, they post a question in there and, uh, we have green pal vendors that have been through us since day one, answer the question of the guy that just joined. So it's like a self-propagating customer service that, uh, 
that, that we've created and there's no need to hire anybody to take the call of somebody that's giving you $15 a month to reschedule an appointment. So that was kind of something that we did knowing that, hey, we got to keep our costs down. We can't afford anybody to do customer service, uh, especially on the vendor side um you know when it is uh when it is really not necessary so that's kind of another reason we kind of stayed away from the you know the true software as a service uh business model but uh, that's a very good point if you were if you charge subscription to any kind of customers you will have to provide customer support against that and and your choice is that you want to make it more as much of a self-service product as possible and and uh, in a transaction model, uh, you're saying that you don't have to provide much customer support, and your community is providing the customer support. But yeah. I, you know, I can, I could foresee also pushing back on that. If even if you were charging subscription, your community since it's so, you know, so tight and so well versed, they would probably still provide customer support. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's some. Uh, we we have a. a we designed and, and, and built a vendor handbook that basically, you know, you can find any answer to any question on how the app works, but it's probably utilized maybe 10% of the time. So we tried to not force them, but we try to suggest to them, Hey, read this. It takes 10 minutes and it'll answer a lot of your questions that, uh, that you have about, you know, how things work and, uh, what to do in certain situations. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, being in a, a bootstrap, you want to save as much money as possible. And that Facebook uh, group has saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars and thousands of hours of, of you know, tedious work. Sure. Now, what is your guidance to the uh, audience on when is a good time to quit uh, bootstrapping in a bootstrapping with a paycheck situation and jump full-time into your venture what yeah so i think it's going to be different with uh with everybody you know i i've mentored some people in in the nashville area that that never quit their job they still do both um so i think it's different with every individual what you know what my key like point was when i need more time doing green pal than i do at my day job that is when um, that is when i'm gonna you know make the leap and so yeah. you know there was it was april 17th of 2007 is when that was my last day at my uh, at my corporate job and it was just okay i can't i can't keep doing both because there's not enough time in the day and 2017 uh, 2017 yeah so it was uh, it's a long way it's a very long time, but you know, I mean, you sacrifice a lot. Uh, you don't have any weekends. You don't have a social life, um, you know, and friends turn into acquaintances because you don't have time to hang out with them. Um, and it's a lonely journey and, uh, make sure you're, uh, you know, make sure you're in it with, uh, with the people that you like and can stand the most. So it's a very, but that's also, some of it is personal choice. Um, some people, do a very long bootstrapping with a paycheck journey and some people you know once things become sustainable once project products become validated and revenue generating and uh, you don't necessarily need the paycheck to sustain yourself 
uh, a lot of people do quit and go full-time with the venture. Mm -hmm. The other nuance that uh, we should point out is that if you're trying to raise money, um, before an investor is going to write a check, most likely they will require that you quit your job. However, mm -hmm. we have seen um, very good case studies of people bootstrapping with a paycheck all the way until getting a, you know, angel or venture funding and, uh, and then quitting their job. So that's also fine. Or um, we've also seen, this is a very interesting situation, we also see people applying to Y Combinator right. bootstrapping with a paycheck first and getting validation yeah. and, and get the business rolling and then go into Y Combinator <laughs> and get exposure to a lot of investors and so forth. So we're seeing that the, the reason I am so bullish about bootstrapping with a paycheck as a methodology and I wanted to showcase your journey, Gene, is to is, is that it is it works. You know, it yeah. really works. <laughs> It can work. Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be done, um, but it, it it certainly can work. And uh, you know, most most startups don't die by homicide; they die by uh, by natural causes. And a lot of those natural causes are running out of money. So you know, mm -hmm. if you can help extend the runway by, you know, driving for Uber or Lyft or mowing lawns or or, or staying with your corporate job, you know, it extends that runway and you know gives you more options to to be more flexible and if you defer taking money you know you're 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 more metrics driven and uh you can move a little bit quicker and you don't you don't have a job uh, or a boss um so you know I, I, the the i heard a parallel saying that uh uh venture capitalists are like they're like hitchhikers as long as you know as long as they like where your car is going they'll keep paying they'll keep paying for the gas but as soon as they don't like the direction that the car is going, they'll they'll kick you out of your car okay. and uh, they'll start driving. So, you know, smiles and, and crosses. very often they will drive you down the cliff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's not a wrong answer. Um, we just didn't have the option in the very beginning to take any, to take any money and uh, it was a blessing. And, you know, here we are, you know, self-funded and uh, we're just gonna keep going that way. Jean, last question. What has it been like uh, working on this venture out of the Nashville area? You know, at first we thought it was going to be, uh, we thought it was going to be tough and detrimental. Um, you know, nothing really, no platform has ever come out of Nashville and Nashville's really tech heavy uh, right now, just in healthcare. So there was not a lot of people to, to lean on um here to say hey you know how do you start this how do we go about this so you know we had to rely on uh, eric reese and steve blank on telling us you know what to do and uh hours and hours upon podcasts of people that have done what we're trying to do so um i think starting a company is you know is kind of location agnostic i don't think it matters um, no, not at all. Today, there are too many resources with which you can learn, and, and uh, you can do it anywhere. This was, you know, when we started One Million by One Million, that was really the vision that we started with, is to really democratize entrepreneurship and education <laughs> and tradition and acceleration. And, uh, and we've done that, and the world has moved, definitely become a globalized entrepreneurship ecosystem, very much so. Yes. 
All right. Well, thank you, Jean, for sharing your story. It was a pleasure to have you on, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Good luck. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye.